We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Uh, let us then now look at this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 starting at verse 2. Asa, who was the king, did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. But Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace now as a result of that. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns and throughout, throughout Judah. No one tried to make, him, to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. Asa told the people of Judah, Let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. And he has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with those projects and brought them to to completion. King Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah, armed with large shields and spears. He also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. Both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. Once an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of a million people, men of three, and 300 chariots. They advanced to the town of Marasha, so Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Marasha. The Asa, and then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God. We trust in you alone. It is in your name that we come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. This is the word of God. So uh, I coach the Yas. Redbacks under nine soccer team. Um, I retired from soccer at about the age of seven, um, so it's, a, it's been an interesting experience for me. Um, sometimes the guys get, and girls get a little bit physical on the field, but that's got nothing to do with the fact that I actually played rugby uh, and not soccer. Um, so Josiah, my eldest son, is a part of that team, uh, and, and uh, what happens if you're the son of the pastor, uh, you get to have your, your successes shared uh, on a Sunday morning and recorded and podcasted. Um, so Josiah yesterday scored his first ever goal in soccer. Um, and so he didn't run the length of the field uh, with the ball. Uh, he, he, he didn't kind of set up the goal, so to speak. One of the other players who scores lots of goals had a shot and it was blocked. But what he did do is he positioned himself to finish well. Uh, he was in front of the goal, he trapped the ball and he kicked it in. Uh, and so this morning I, I want to talk about finishing well. 
finishing well. I want you to say that with me, finishing well. That's what we're talking about this morning. But before we get on that, we're going to explore Asa's life and we're going to explore uh, what it looks like to, to finish well or some of the pitfalls and, and the traps to finishing well. But I just I feel this morning that God wants me to, to tell you another little part of that, that story with Josiah kicking his goal. This is how he reacted. He, he trapped the ball, he kicked it in the goal, the first ever goal he scored, he looked at it and he turned around and he walked off back towards halfway. What I did was, yeah! And so I feel like God wants me to tell at least some of you this morning that you might not think you're doing that well. You might not think you're that special or you're the best one on the team or maybe you're a bit of a mess up, but I feel like God wants me to tell you this morning that your heavenly Father is in heaven watching you and just going, yes, that's my girl. That's my boy. Isn't she good? Everybody come and see. Isn't he great? Everyone come and see. And you think, I'm faltering and I'm failing and, I, and I'm not really measuring up and I'm not achieving much. But, but God, your Father in heaven is celebrating your every move. Your every moment is, is being celebrated by God. And so I feel like, you know, I've got a sermon to preach this morning. I feel like uh, that that I want to encourage you, you know, take notes, take that in. But but for some of us, that, that's that's what God wants for you this morning. He wants you to know He's cheering you on. When you take that little step, you might think, "Oh, that person needs to know Jesus," and I'm just not an evangelist. But but when you embrace them and love them in the name of Jesus, or or, or when you you say that just that little word. That, that points them somehow in the direction of Jesus, God's celebrating you. You might think you're not doing that well just in, in life in general, but, but you got it out of bed this morning. Jesus said that, you know, and this is about lost, the lost been saved, but he said that, that there's a party in heaven over the salvation of one lost soul. And, and, and so, you know, we, we might have the attitude or, the, or, or we might go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's so great. You know, we did Alpha and, and one person was saved or we had this baptism and oh, it's really good. But, but there's, an absolute, there's a party that consumes all of heaven over that one lost soul. And so I want to uh, encourage us that heaven has a propensity to party. They're, they're looking for excuses to get excited about you. Your father's not counting your stuff-ups, your mess-ups, your sins that's been dealt with on the cross by Jesus. He's looking at you and just getting excited about who you are and everything you do. And so that's not the sermon this morning, but I, but, but I want you to know your Father is celebrating you. Your Daddy in heaven is cheering you on. And so we're talking about finishing well. And so after the short reign of Abijah, uh, after, after Rehoboam, who we talked about last week, Asa, became king. Uh, and so we're talking about finishing well because although Asa um, is recorded as one of the good kings, as Laurie touched on, he didn't finish that well. Uh, and so in, in 2 Chronicles 14.2, we get the kind of the headline of, of Asa's reign of his life story. And it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. But at the end of his life story, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet, but his, but his heart had gotten to this place where though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, 
but only from the physicians. We're also told at the end of his reign, he, he started treating people harshly. And so Asa didn't finish well. But before we get into that, this is not a, a witch hunt of Asa. This is not a tear down of Asa. And I think it's so profound that, that though Asa didn't finish well, the headline of his life story in God's word is Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So this is written after the fact. We believe that this was inspired by God. It's got the, the nasty bits, the dark bits, the, the less good bits of Asa's life in there. It's not a, a glossed over account, but, but when God looks at Asa's life and says, what's the headline? Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And so we're going to have a look at, at why didn't Asa finish well. We're going to have a look at, well, what traps did he fall into that prevented him from being someone who, who finished such a great life of faith, faith in strength in faith. But this isn't about focusing on failures because the Father celebrates our successes. He celebrates our triumphs, even though we have the messy bits. And so even more so, I want to remind us that these are Old Testament stories. These are stories of God's people. They're examples for us. They're lessons for us. But we need to remember they lived under a different covenant to us. We need to look at all of this through the lens of Jesus because God looks at all of us through the lens of Jesus. And so there's bits of these stories that, that apply to a different covenantal relationship to God than that which we live in under Jesus whose sacrifice has covered all of our sins. So they're lessons, they're examples and so the example we're looking for is, is what traps did Asa fall into that we can see so that we can avoid falling into the same traps so that we can position ourselves to finish well. God's gracious, he's not measuring you by the last thing that you did. The last things Asa did weren't so great, but God's summary of his life is still Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. It's not about finishing well. It's not about trying to end up that, 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 that you just need the last thing you do before you die to be really good and then God will be pleased with you, but it's about finishing strong, finishing well in faith. It's about pointing out the traps that the enemy wants to put in front of you to trip you up to ensnare you so you don't finish well. And, and, and so we might think this morning, well, I'm so strong in my faith, I'm so vibrant in my faith, I can't imagine anything but living out the next 70 years. Um, you may be optimistic for some of us, um, 70 years of faith in anything but strength. But Asa did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord, but he, he still didn't finish well. The, the um, New Testament, Jesus talks about Satan as prowling around like an enemy. He talks about Satan as, as seeking to sift Peter. And the New Testament talks about Satan prowling around like an enemy looking for someone to devour. And so, um, what happened to Asa? That's the question. What happened to Asa that led him to not finishing well? And so we're told that in 2 Chronicles 15, 17 to 19, and, and this is the end of uh, what Laurie read for us this morning. It says, although he didn't remove the high places from Israel, there's this whole story uh, throughout that even the good kings of, uh, of Israel 
uh, of Judah. It's, it's this kind of story of how much of the pagan worship infrastructure did they destroy. And so a good king like Asa would destroy everything, but not the high places. A really good king would destroy every pagan object of worship, including the high places. But anyway, even though he didn't do that, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. And so Asa had many years of peace and prosperity. And so at first he called upon the Lord when uh, it's Ethiopian or, 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 or different translations use different words depending on, you know, what historical period and name they want to give to that region of Ethiopia. But, but they marched against uh, uh, Asa's hundreds of thousands with millions. And, and so Asa went out to battle. He prepared, but he called upon the Lord. And there was a great victory for Judah. And so that's where he began. But, but after that battle, most of his reign was peaceful. It was comfortable. It's the kind of comfort that we pray for. It's the kind of end to battles and skirmishes and, and, and desperate needs to, to get on our needs and pray to God for. It's the kind of thing that we pray for. But, but Asa's story is a, a warning to us that there's danger in comfort. There's danger in comfort. See, comfort can lead to a complacent place in our faith. See, it's the same trap that, that Asa's granddaddy fell into. If we go back a few chapters, we talked about Rehoboam um, and, and that all of the faithful people from the northern king of Israel, when it split, came down to Judah and, and, and Judah became this strong, faithful uh, uh, kingdom dedicated to God but then we didn't read this bit last week but if you flip over to chapter 12 verse 1 it says after Rehoboam's position as king was established and he'd become strong he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord once he was comfortable he became complacent now, I'm sure this wasn't a decision that, you know, Asa, uh, sorry, Rehoboam thought, I'm strong, I'm comfortable, the kingdom's secure, let's abandon God. That's not how it happens. There's a song by that, uh, a band called Casting Crowns that, that says it's a slow fade, it's a compromise, it's another piece of complacency. And we find, you know, that though it's not what we set out to do, it can be said we've abandoned the ways of God. And so it's the trap that, he's, that Asa's grandpa uh, Rehoboam fell into, that, that this comfort led to complacency. For Rehoboam, it, it wasn't... Uh, spoken of him that he abandoned the ways of the Lord, but then when the next challenge came, when the next opportunity to call upon the Lord, to, to see the deliverance of the Lord came, his reaction was very different. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But faith is like a muscle. It needs exercise. Your faith needs exercise to grow 
and remain strong. Our faith is exercised where there's things to depend upon God for, when there's things that are beyond ourselves that we can only see deliverance in or provision in or, or, or peace in when God's in the picture. See, the, the irony is that opposition grows our faith. We pray for an end to opposition. We pray for peace on all of our borders, but there's danger in that because comfort can lead to complacency. The question really is, are, are, are we advancing the kingdom if there's not opposition? Asa had peace on every side and I'm not uh, suggesting that you know, God wanted him to go out and conquer more territory or anything like that. But if we, if we think of it in a spiritual sense, the, the reason Asa had no conflict was because he stayed within the confines of his kingdom. That's not what God wants for us with his kingdom in a spiritual sense. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. And so if we're not facing opposition, if we're in a place of comfort, then, then maybe we've already become complacent. And so to finish well, to, to avoid the trap of comfort, to finish well, we need to not... Sorry, there should be a word let in there. That's terrible grammar. Don't let comfort lead to complacency. If we're going to finish well, we can't let comfort lead to complacency. And, and so how do we do that? Well, we keep having a bigger God-sized vision. Because if our vision is God-sized, there will be opposition. In some sense, I'm saying, pick a fight. Not with one another. And I don't mean like, saying to the enemy, come on, Satan, come at me. I mean, pick a fight with the enemy by seeking to advance the kingdom. Whenever we pray for someone who's lost, we're picking a fight. Whenever we speak the gospel to someone who doesn't know Jesus, we're picking a fight. Whenever we pray for healing where the enemy doesn't want healing, we're picking a fight. Whenever we pray for rain where, where the enemy rejoices in the suffering of people in drought, we're picking a fight. And so the thing is, the way to avoid complacency is to not allow yourself to be comfortable, content, but not comfortable within the borders. And the irony is we should thank God for the battles that he puts in front of us because these are the things that develop our faith. Faith grows in the midst of opposition. And so if we want to finish well, then don't let comfort lead to complacency. And so Asa's story goes on. It says uh, he had 35 years of peace, or peace until the 35th year of his reign. And then it says, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Bashar, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So in the 36th year, many years after Asa had faced any opposition, Bashar, king of Israel, is picking a fight. He's saying we're going to shut down the borders. 
it's a similar situation, but actually it's not as critical as what Asa faced in his early years with the Ethiopians marching up with millions. But it's the same thing. An enemy has picked a fight. First time around, Asa called upon the Lord. He was, he was desperate. He was dependent. Uh, but this time, he reacts differently. He says, Then Asa took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. And so we've got Judah in the south, Israel above them in the north, and Aram above that. And so Asa's response is, well, I'm just going to pay off the guys on the other side. I'll let them deal with this issue. And so he sent all that money out of the Lord's temple and out of his own palace to uh, Ben-Hadad and said, let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Bashar, king of Israel, so he'll withdraw from me. The thing is, the treasure was a blessing from God. It was God's provision. But what happened for Asa is he began to trust the blessing rather than the blesser. What happened for Asa is he trusted in the resources God had given him rather than trusting in God himself. He trusted in his diplomatic skills and his political nous rather than calling upon the Lord. Essentially, Asa is saying, I've got this. I've got this. God has blessed me with resources. I don't need to talk to him about this. I don't need to rally the army of Judah. We don't need to, to go out to fight this battle. I'm just going to pay my mate Ben off and he's going he's to solve it for me. Asa trusted in human strength in a really lazy way, in a sense, but he tr- trusted in his own capacity, his own financial resources rather than God. And so in any terms, we call this pride. When we trust in what we have rather than depending upon God, that's pride. And so jumping down a few verses um, after Asa's response to this opposition, rather than calling upon the Lord, but, but, you know, just, oh, well, I'll just make a withdrawal from my bank account. God's blessed me. Hashtag blessed life. God has filled my bank account. I'm just going to clear it out. I'm going to pay off the enemy. Problem solved. But at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram, and we also know your bank account, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. See, Asa didn't know what God's plans were, because he didn't ask. This could have been an opportunity for, for a great victory for Judah, for, for more territory to be gained for those who were faithful to the Lord, for, for, for the uh, pagan kingdom of Aram to, to be incorporated. I don't know what God's plan was, but it wasn't for God to, uh, for Asa to make a treaty using his bank balance with Aram. And so the prophet, the seer says, 
the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. Were not the Cushites, which is another word for that Ethiopian territory, and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? That's, that's the, the battle that came against Asa in his early days. Weren't they a bigger opposition than this? The prophet is saying. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you'll be at war. So the irony here for Asa is he tried to buy peace pridefully with his own resources that God had blessed him with instead of trusting in God. He tried to buy peace, but what he really purchased was war. The prophet, God says to him through the prophet, it might have been 30 years ago, but wasn't it a bigger challenge? Wasn't it a bigger obstacle? Wasn't it a bigger opposition? And when you called out, when you relied on me, I delivered you in, in such a mighty way that's led to the prosperity of the last 30 years. Why are you now trusting in your own resources? See, for some of us, once upon a time, we were in a position where we called upon the Lord. Maybe we desperately needed a job. Maybe we desperately needed a house or, or stability or, or, or uh, we, were, we were lonely and we were like, God, I, I, I want a spouse. Uh, we had no children or we called out for children. And some of us are in that place where we're still calling out for those things uh, or, or other things. But, but, but for some of us, we're in that place where we're calling out for God for those things But now that we've been blessed with jobs, with houses, with children, with spouses, uh, or or whatever it is, we're trying to continue in our own strength. We're, We're trying to pridefully, instead of relying on God for the next battle... We're trying to do it in our own strength. God, God, you prayed for a spouse and God gave you a spouse, but now you're trying to resolve the conflict in your own efforts without calling upon the Lord. You prayed for children and God gave you children, but, but now you're trying to make things happen. You're trying to parent without God. You prayed for a house and, and you've got the house, but, but things are tight and you're struggling financially, but, but you're trying to live off your bank balance rather than calling out upon the Lord. Now, I'm not saying wise stewardship, you know, having a conversation with your spouse to try and resolve conflict or, 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 or doing a parenting course or, or any of those things that equip us to be better at those things are, are bad. But, but what I'm trying to touch on is so often we cry out to God, but then when we're blessed, we begin to trust in the blessing rather than the blesser. We begin to trust in the bank balance rather than the one who provides for all of our needs. We want to finish well, got to make the decision to not let our blessings develop into pride. To not let that which God has given us to become something in which we are prideful and think that we accomplished in our own right. To not get into the space that Asa got into and think, I've got this without God. When trouble comes, let us call upon the Lord and not on our bank balance. See, I don't know if, if, uh, 
If Asa had called upon the Lord, maybe God would have said, now you've got all this money in the treasury. What I want you to do with that is, you know, head west and to Babylon and they're going to be your redeemer in this case. It's not that God won't use the resources he's given us for our deliverance, but, but the thing is we've got to ask. Maybe he wanted that money in the bank. Maybe he knows there's, a, there's another challenge coming. Maybe he wanted to use this situation of conflict with the northern kingdom of Israel to, to win a great victory for the kingdom of Judah over those who are the enemies of God. We can never get into a space where we feel so resourced that we stop asking God, that we stop calling out to God to deliver us. To finish well, don't let blessing develop into pride. And so Asa responded to this. He, he was angry with the seer or the prophet. Because of this, he was so enraged that he put him into prison. Some of us kind of laugh a little bit at that response, but who hasn't gotten angry at someone for giving you negative feedback and wanting to imprison them? (laughs) I repent, Lord, of my sins. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. And so Asa was disappointed and angry. The problem is it evolved into bitterness. And God gave him opportunities to call upon him, to trust him. You know, not many of us would think a a severe foot disease is an opportunity, but in the context of the way this passage is said, it's saying this was Asa's opportunity to say, I get the point, God, I need you. C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. This is Asa's opportunity to call upon the Lord. In a few generations' time, we see a similar situation with King Hezekiah and the result of that is God's pronounced that he's going to die, that his life is over, the next king's going to come and he's got this illness, but King Hezekiah repents. He humbles himself before the Lord. And he's healed. This was Asa's opportunity for that. But he refused it. He was angry. He was disappointed. He let that evolve into bitterness and he refused to get over it. If you are human, raise your hand if you're a human this morning. Some of us don't feel human. Uh, this morning, on a Sunday morning, after the, the, the coldness of, of the last few days. If you're a human, you will have disappointments in life. If you are human, you will have things that occur in your life over which you become angry. People will disappoint you. Pastors will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. The church will disappoint you. 
The weather will disappoint you. God will disappoint you. It might not sound theologically correct, but if God never disappointed us, our world would be even more messed up than it was. If you don't believe me, just watch Bruce Almighty for homework. If God answered every one of our prayers, if God never disappointed us, then our lives would be a mess. So, disappointment is a universal experience. And that's okay. The problem with Asa, the the reason he didn't finish well was because it didn't stay at disappointment and then get over it and humble himself. He let it evolve into bitterness that he refused to get over. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And I think the other things are important. Don't let um, comfort lead to complacency. Don't let uh, blessing develop into pride. But, but I think this is probably the biggest reason why so many people fail to finish well. It's because they get disappointed, they get angry, and they let it evolve into bitterness, and they refuse to get over it. To finish well, we need to not let that happen. Don't let disappointment evolve into bitterness. That looks like resolving conflicts. That looks like forgiving. That looks like releasing the the thing that we're disappointed about to God and it looks like getting counselling and healing and, and sometimes seeing a psychologist to help you work through the thing that you're bitter about. The writer of Hebrews used such an appropriate word for bitterness, a root. Because what does a root do? It digs down, keeps winding its way into the soil, attaching itself more and more, sending out other roots and shooters and whatever someone who knows something about plants would call those things until it's so firmly anchored in it's really hard to pull out and so it's important that we don't let that disappointment evolve into bitterness but some of us the bitterness is already there and so to uproot bitterness without ripping everything apart often involves a process. And so I don't want anyone to, well, I hope no one has, you know, a disappointment that leads to long-term bitterness over what I'm about to say, but, but essentially sometimes we've got to get over it. Sometimes we've just simply got to get over it. And I know that phrase is used in such a way as to imply that the thing wasn't a big thing that you should just you know, sweep it under the carpet. That's not what I mean at all. I mean, we need to choose, no matter how big the disappointment, no matter how large the offense, no matter how outrageous the thing that's made us angry, we need to choose, if we want to finish well, to get over it. No matter what that looks like. 
whether that looks like having an honest conversation with the last person you ever want to talk to, whether that looks like seeking professional help, whatever that looks like. I don't mean just, oh, just get over it. I mean, let's make a choice to get over, to get past, to get through, to get beyond the things that we're disappointment, disappointed about, upset about, angry about, so that they don't lead to a bitterness that causes us to not finish well. I want to remind us that it's not all about how we finish. God's not measuring your life by how you finish. There's not pressure on that last breath. But he wants us to finish well. He's a gracious God and and he says over Asa, even though he got complacent, even though he got prideful, even though he got bitter, even though he got nasty, even though after God used a megaphone and, and, and threw the megaphone of pain, said, call out to me, Asa. Come back. And even though Asa refused, God still said in his word, Asa was faithful. But God wanted Asa to finish well and he wants us to finish well. So I want to invite you to stand this morning uh, with me. I invite you to make a decision in your heart whether you're 15 years old, 50, 80, no matter how long you expect you have left to finish, to make a decision in your heart that, I, that you are going to position yourself to finish well. Because the thing is, finishing well doesn't happen at the finish. It's a result of how we position ourselves now and tomorrow and the next day. But it's also true that it's never too late to choose to finish well. And so, Heavenly Father, we stand this morning and we ask for your enabling. We thank you for King Asa, who was faithful. But we also thank you for the example, for the lesson of his life that, <clears throat> that we might see in it some of the traps of the enemies that would keep us from finishing well. And so, Father, I pray that as we choose to position ourselves today to finish well, that, that you would enable us by your spirit to not reach a place of comfort that leads to complacency. Father, you've called us to live at peace with all people as much as it's possible and as much as it depends upon us. But, but Father, I pray that you would show us the kind of fights we should be picking, the kind of fights not with people but in a, in a spiritual battle sense that advance your kingdom. Show us the people to pray for, the people to share Jesus with, 
Father, and as a church, we collectively pick a battle this, this morning and with the weeks to come, uh, this evening and the weeks to come with, with Alpha, and we pray in Jesus' name for those that are attending Alpha, that they would come to know Jesus if they don't yet. And so, Father, we thank you for the opposition, the trials, the troubles, the hurdles that grow our faith. And Father, this morning, I also pray that you would not let the blessing, the resources, the provision of your hand lead us to a place of pride. Father, let us never trust the blessing rather than the blesser. And Father, this morning, I pray especially that in the midst of disappointment, anger, offense in life, that by your Holy Spirit you would enable us to not let it evolve into bitterness. And Father, I pray even more, especially so, where there is bitterness in our hearts, where a root of bitterness has developed for whatever reason, Father, I pray by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to uproot bitterness. Father, we want to glorify you today, we want to glorify you tomorrow, and we want to glorify you to the very last breath we breathe. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.